Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Uh, I'm just going to continue with the series that Ethan has been doing on community. And uh, I spoke a message not too long ago at Gateway in Southlake about community. And so Ethan called and he said, hey, if you could bring that message, that would be great. It lines up great with where we are in talking about community. I listened to Ethan's message from last week. It was incredible. It was really eye-opening for me and a great message. And so um, I'm praying that I'll be able to contribute to that today and, and help out in some way. So the title of the message today is The Humanity of Community. The Humanity of Community. The the reality is that you actually can't have community without humans. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not, but like if you just had a community with like uh, creepy dolls in your house, it wouldn't be the same thing. It, that's not the same thing as actually being in community. And being in community means being in community with people. And I'm not sure if you know this or not, but people are uh, messy. Um, it, it's, uh, it's messy being in community with people. I, I told Hannah, my wife, whenever we first got married, we were engaged actually. And I said, there's two things you need to know about me. Uh, number one is, uh, that I will never, ever, I was working at a church whenever we were engaged. I said, I will never, ever work at a church again after I'm done working at this church. And uh, that was 18 years ago. And in that 18 years, I have never not worked for a church. So um, that was just a flat out lie. And uh, then I also said, the, the second thing that I told her is, I was like, you need to know that I absolutely hate people. All right. That's what you need to know. Uh, if I could have my own way, I would go off into the mountains by myself and you would never see me again. And it is because of my love for you that I, I want to be here and with you. And uh, that turned out not to be true at all. I love people. I love community. I love the community that I have. I have gotten so much out of it. But that isn't to say that it hasn't been difficult because to be in community, you need people. Oh, people, just, <laughs> you ever feel that way? People, ugh. You ever like go to the door of your house, you're about to leave and you're like, ugh, I'm gonna have to talk to people. That's the word. I mean, for the extroverts in the room, you're like, what are you talking about? Like I, I bound out of my house saying, yes, today I get to interact with people, um, but I'm fairly introverted and not always that way. And there are often times where I just go, ah, people. You know, just people just dealing with all the drama and, and the, the, the different things that come up with people. Uh, it's tough. And so we need people, though, in our lives. And yet today, as much as we need community, and, uh, and we do, we desperately need community, we see that the world is becoming even more and more polarized. And so we need community, but we aren't sure how to deal with those who disagree with us or speak against us. And so we become more and more fractured as a society. Jesus needed help even at the moment that he was carrying the cross. At the moment that he was carrying the cross when he could not go on, 
albeit forcefully, Simon of Cyrene was the one who was designated to help him carry the cross. And you may have noticed that Simon of Cyrene was not of his same race or ethnicity, yet he stepped in and was able to help Jesus carry the cross. So when Jesus said then to us, you should take up your cross and carry it, you should keep in mind that you may not be able to do it and you might need those who are sitting on your right or your left to help you out. Community is important. It is vital to us. It is something that we must have in our lives. And oftentimes the things that we need the most are the most difficult things to keep in our lives. And so the first point I want to bring to you today is that we must build community. We must build community. And let me ask you a question. What is the fastest way to build community? What's the very fastest way that you could build community? And I'm not necessarily talking about the best way to build community. I'm talking about the fastest way to build community. The fastest way that you can build community is through negativity. I'll give you some homework assignment and you will verify that this is true. The next time you go to a grocery store, like in Dallas, we have freak, you know, ice storms out of nowhere and all the whole, the whole city goes into chaos and uh, cars are just flying off the road. And so right before an ice storm, it doesn't happen very often, but right before an ice storm, everybody and their dog goes to the grocery store and they stock up on things that they definitely don't need, but they've got to be prepared just in case. And so the grocery store sell- shelves are empty. It's a madhouse. People are running around and they're grabbing things from people and they get to the front of the line of the grocery store and uh and maybe you could just try this out for example maybe just the person in front of you could be like hey uh you got i see you got some frozen pizzas there i I like frozen pizzas too see how far that conversation (laughs) goes it's like that scene in dumb and dumber where he just walks in he's like big gulps eh Well, see you later. There's nothing else to say. You're not going to bond over that. You're not going to be like, I totally love frozen pizzas. Should we hang out and eat a frozen pizza? Community isn't built that way. But if you're in that same line and it's taking a really long time and you just even just like fairly quietly under your breath go, what is the deal with this line? Like seven people in line will be like, I know, right? What's going on here? What's the deal? Hey, lady, hurry it up. They all like, everyone joins in together. It's a mob all of a sudden. And all you said is like, what is the deal with this line? In, in, In creating community, you can create a community so quickly and so easily over negativity at any time that you want. Community that is built on negativity, though, will always remain based on negativity. So... I've had this many times in my life where I've noticed that a certain group of friends that I have, maybe we work together and maybe one day we got together and we all talked about what was wrong with this place that we work at. Why are they making this decision? Why are they doing this? Why are they, why are they, they acting in this way? Or why is leadership making this decision? And all of a sudden, because of our shared struggle, we have this bond that becomes very tight and, and close. And so I imagine then that they are really close friends of mine. But what I notice is that if that, that problem is ever resolved, the entire basis of our friendship disappears. 
movements are started this way all the time. You can walk around all the time and be like, hey, the oceans are full of plastic. Save the oceans. We want to be good to the dolphins. We want to do this or we want to save this or whatever. And those are very slow and gradual movements that take place. But as soon as you go, hey, everyone, we're against this Tons of people will show up and be like, we're against that too. And you can build a powerful movement over what you're against instead of what you're for. I've seen this in churches too, where they make their entire platform, we're not like that church or we're not like that movement in Christianity. And everything is defined by what they are not instead of what they are. And that is a shallow, baseless form of community. Real community is something that you will actually have to work much harder to obtain. It will actually have to be based on positivity. It will actually have to be based on pulling people towards good. Jesus preached this gospel of love and harmony, and many people chose to follow him, but mobs formed against him when people began to hate him. The people that followed Jesus had to change the, the entire way that they lived their lives, but the people who were, who were against him only had to speak out the voice of hate, and many joined them. When we think of the betrayal of, of Jesus, and it takes place by Judas, who betrays him, then we think about this betrayal, and we often maybe blame Judas, or we talk about the acts that Judas did. And I'm, I'm not trying to relieve him of the responsibility that he bore, but if you were a Jesus follower, and you were following Jesus, and you were engaged on what was going to happen in his life, and what was going to take place, then even after Judas betrayed him, and he goes before Pontius Pilate, it, it's not over yet. He isn't sentenced to death yet. And in fact, uh, there's a lot of struggle there about what is going to happen to Jesus. So let me show you some of that, starting in Luke chapter 23, verse 14. It says, uh, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod. Jesus had already been sent to Herod. This is Pontius Pilate, speak, Pilate speaking. So he says, for he sent him back to us. Look, Nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Pontius Pilate's plan was to release Jesus and all of that would be over. Judas, the betrayal, everything, they bring him before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate and then the ultimate power, Herod, both say this man has done nothing to deserve death. It sounds like he's free. Pontius Pilate, the one who can make this decision, says... Let him go. I don't see anything wrong with this. And then in Luke 23, verse 20, it says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found him in no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. 
the will of the mob, the will of the people. Jesus was not killed because he was overthrowing the government or breaking the law. Jesus was killed because people in their anger gathered for hours to scream crucify him until they got their way. How, how even could that many people be that mad at, at this man? The one who had walked everywhere he had gone, he had healed people of affirmities that had afflicted them for their entire life. Everywhere he went, he preached a gospel of love and grace and forgiveness. Everywhere he went, he was helping those around him and he was bringing freedom to the ones who were uh, captive and, and bondage. And this is the work that he was doing. How could so many people gather and say, crucify him, that it would actually in, in, interfere with Pontius Pilate's conscience and what he knew what was right and that he would acquiesce to that. Let me tell you something. Don't acquiesce to the mob today. And we sure shouldn't be the church that is the mob today. We sure shouldn't be the people who just show up in the crowd and go, oh, you guys hate this. I hate this too. The gospel requires us to be more thoughtful, more nuanced, more prepared in what we decide to hate. We should hate what Jesus hates, and we should love what Jesus loves. And too often, church becomes a place where we can say, we're all of like mind, let's be against this thing. When in reality, the church is to say, we are for one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is his savior, his redemption, and his redeeming power. So... What could possibly happen to gather that many people in this mob to, to, to cry out, crucify him? Do you think Jesus maybe had gone around, we didn't know about it, maybe they didn't record it in the Bible, and he had punched every single one of those people in the face, you know? That's what they were mad about. Like, what in the world could cause this type of mob mentality? And yet it was so damaging that even his closest community was scattered. The mob mentality of hate that causes us to yell on social media, crucify him for hours and hours instead of seeing the image of God right in front of us as, as is what disjoints us and takes us away from our community. And this is the reason why early Christians were so incredibly effective at uh, causing people or inviting people to join their community because they did it exactly the opposite way that everyone else had done it. They were the ones who were so effective in winning people because they acted outside of the way that everyone was behaving around them, different than the broken parts of our humanity that call us to act in that way. And they recognized the image of God. They fed people who didn't deserve to be fed. They clothed people who they had no relation to and no connection to. And they loved humanity instead of hating it. And they offered grace to those within their reach. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If we want to grow the church, this is the model for that. God will add to the community day by day. If we are not the ones who take God's place in being the judge of other people's actions, but instead if we meet each other's needs and the Lord will continue to add to the numbers day by day. Now, the second thing I want to tell you about is that we desperately need to tell better stories. Our stories matter. The stories that we tell, they make an impact and they make a difference. So we must learn to tell better stories. All right, so I want to show you a video in just a second. It's uh, from the 50s or 60s. It's called the Hyder Experiment. And so named after the person who conducted the experiment. So guys, if you'll go ahead and start that video. Uh, this is obviously from the 50s and 60s. So it's a very crude animation here that we have. And uh, you can see we've got uh, a square here with a triangle inside of it. This is a big triangle. Then you've got a small triangle and a, a circle here. And I'm not sure what's going on. It looks like maybe the big triangle and the small triangle are in some kind of dispute with each other. There's clearly some fighting going on here. He's got him backed into a corner now. And so here comes the circle. Like maybe I can save him. But the circle's terrified, you know, locking itself now into the square. The big, oh no, the big triangle's coming after the circle. That, that's not, that, we don't want that at all, guys, all right? We, we got to watch out for that. Now they're trapped in there together. What's the small triangle going to do? He's going to try to go in there, save the, oh, look at that. They trapped him in there, incredible. And now they're dancing with joy and gladness, incredible. Making their great escape. What a thrilling story this is. Look, he's all alone where he deserves to be. He, he's going to pout and just shut the... And now he's breaking it all apart. He's throwing a fit. All right, so that's the story right there, all right? <laughs> Incredible story. Really, really breathtaking. Uh, how many of you felt like the big triangle was the bad guy? He was obviously trying to get to the small triangle and the circle, you know. And so how many of you felt like he was the bad guy? By show of hands, you felt like he was the bad guy. And, and how many of you felt sorry for that little circle, kind of running around and hiding and trying to get away, you know, you feel sorry for the circle. Is there anybody here that saw absolutely nothing at all? Like just nothing? Yeah, okay, so I saw at least one hand. You, sir, are exactly right. That was absolutely nothing at all. I'll tell you what that was. That was two-dimensional shapes moving around on a one-dimensional plane. That's what that was. You want to get, like, real scientific? That was just shapes moving around on the screen. It meant nothing. It had no meaning to it. It had nothing. It wasn't a story. It meant nothing at all. And what the, what, the, what the experiment was based on was that what they would do is they would bring hundreds of people one by one into a room and they would show them that video. And the stories that people invented about what was taking place in that was incredible. You should go and look at the study. It's unbelievable. All kinds of crazy stories about who, who the big triangle represents and who the small triangle represents. I mean, wild theories. People had like expanded on it. They couldn't even shake the story from their mind. They just wanted to keep trying to figure it out, what was actually going on. And in reality, it was two-dimensional shapes moving around on a one-dimensional plane. That is, the, that is it. That is all that took place. 
But what we learned through that experiment is that the human brain has an overwhelming capability of telling stories when nothing is actually taking place. There's some land that we go to, uh, me and my brother and my dad and the family, and I take my kids and we go, we go hunting and do some stuff like that. And one of the things that you got to watch out for is rattlesnakes. We have rattlesnakes all over the land. So we're always telling the kids, watch out, watch out. And not too long ago, I was out there with my dad and we were driving around on the land and we turned this corner. And at the same time, we looked at each other and go, watch out for a snake. Now, why did we say that? Because one time... Eight years ago, we saw one snake in that spot. We killed it, so he doesn't live there anymore. And so, but like eight years later, we said, we thought, isn't it interesting? Both of us, the every single time, which is lots of times throughout a year that we pass that one area, we go, snake? This is a defense mechanism that was built into you when we were having to ward off wild beasts and watch for snakes all the time that reminds you danger was here, so keep your lookout. And what happens now is that we may not have wild beasts chasing us through the forest, but we have people who hurt our feelings, who say things that we don't want to hear, and all we do then is we start to build up a guard in ourselves, and maybe it even took place at church. So maybe even when you come into church, you go, watch out. Watch out for the snake. Maybe it's not there. Maybe there's no threat at all. But what happens is that that trauma builds and it causes us to be so terrified of what might take place. And so the, the, the stories that we tell ourselves impact the way that we view life. I heard a story about a pastor who he had someone, a, a parishioner in his congregation who uh, one day he was uh, standing Uh, over by the communion table and he turned and he bumped the communion table and he looked up and the senior pastor of the church was staring right at him. And he was like, oh no, like this is Jesus' body and blood and I just like bumped it and the pastor's staring right at me and he agonized over it for like two weeks. And so finally he said, I just have to go apologize. He went to the senior pastor and he said, this is what happened. I bumped into the communion table. I think maybe a little bit of Jesus' blood spilled on the table. I'm not sure. And uh, so he's like, I just need to apologize to you. And the senior pastor said, dude, if I happen to be looking in your direction, it was because I was staring off into space. I have no idea what you're talking about. I never saw what you said. But yet for two weeks, this guy had agonized over the offense that he had caused with his pastor, the distance he had avoided him in the hallways. These are the types of stories that we are so often to tempt ourselves with. It's a protection mechanism built into us, but it is one that we must use very wisely. So my recommendation is to you, go talk to the person instead of talking to yourself. Resolve it. Go to the person. Ask them, just like this person did to his pastor. Hey, did this bother you? No. Okay, great. I don't have to agonize over this now for two weeks. I can just go on living my life, and our relationship is redeemed in that. Talk to people instead of talking to yourself. The cure for disagreement is curiosity. The cure for disagreement is curiosity because if I come into a conversation knowing that everything I say is right and proven and it is the only way to think, I'll never be able to listen to the person that I'm talking to. But if I come into the conversation going, maybe actually I'll learn something from them. 
Maybe actually, as much as I currently disagree with their view, maybe I'll at least understand where they're coming from and I'll hear their story and that will change something with me. Curiosity is the cure for disagreement. Proverbs 18 verse 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. It like physically hurts for me to read that scripture. (laughs) I think of all the times that I've had no interest in listening and understanding, but instead only in expressing my opinion because I believe it's right. That is a recipe for disaster in relationships. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The ears of the wise are open and seeking knowledge. Listen to everyone because you might actually learn something. Do you know what commandment number nine it is? Number nine is do not give false testimony about your neighbor. This commandment is about the, portray, the public portrayal of reality lest we convict an innocent person. And when we attempt to mind read or, or, or make uh, accusations of what someone's intentions were, we ruin reputations. A friend of mine, uh, we, we, we had all gone to the same doctor. And so my wife and I and, and, and this couple that we're friends with, we were talking about this certain doctor's office that we had been to. And we were talking about our experience and how incredibly rude this nurse was there and how it kind of, we loved the doctor, but the nurse kind of ruined our experience at this place. And so we were kind of talking about that. And the girl from, uh, from, that we were talking to from the other couple, she said, I have a story about that. She said, I always thought that that nurse was the rudest person I'd ever encountered in my life. And she said, I was telling a friend about how bad my experience has been with this nurse. And my friend had actually taken the time to invest in talking to this nurse. And she said, do you have any idea what her story is? My friend said, no. So as she told her the story of this nurse's life, she said her heart broke and she realized that she had the power of that person's reputation locked within inside her words and every time that she told somebody that she had a bad experience with her she tainted that person's reputation even though she had no idea what that person had ever been through we go through hard, difficult times. I, I told a story one time at Gateway about how uh, I had to take my dad to the airport, and it was after, uh, after the service one time. And so right after service, we jumped in the car, and I've got to speed to the airport to get him to his flight on time. And we're, we're, we're driving my little uh, Toyota Corolla that, that I said had leprosy because all the paint was peeling off of it, and it was all rusted out. And so he jumps in my car, and we're driving down the road and trying to get over quickly. I cut this guy off and I didn't mean to. I just, I was trying to get through traffic really quickly. Well, he came around and he gave us the bird. I don't know. Do you know what that means? You know, where someone gives you the finger, you get that, right? We're Christians here, but you understand what that means. And so uh, I I remember so vividly, I took so much joy in this. I, I look at him and he's mad. He's looking at us and he's giving us the bird. And I just went, 
like that, and I pointed to the passenger seat so that he could see that Pastor Robert Morse was sitting in the seat, and that's who he was giving the bird to. And I told that story in, in church one weekend, and this guy, he emailed me, and he was like, yeah, I was that guy. I had waited years. I had waited. I, like, surpassed the statute of limitations. I had waited years to tell that story, but sure enough, he still went to church at Gateway, and he emailed me. Turns out, he's a really good dude who was just having a bad day, you know? It was like, it just was having a bad day, and I can't really fault him for that. I have bad days, too, you know? And so, in learning the humanity of this person, my heart was softened, and I understood what was really taking place there. So, these things happen, and we must learn to 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 give people some grace, to, to give people an idea of, 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 of understanding where they really come from. And so James chapter 4 verse 12 says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? We are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We are not to be the judge over others. There is only one that gives the law and only one that judges. And we often look at our own mistakes and give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but look at other people's mistakes and attribute malevolent uh, um, intentions behind what they're doing. That is so easy to do. If I'm late for a meeting, I'm like, yeah, you know, you get it, guys. My dog threw up all over the floor and there was traffic and no gas stations. And I, I, you know, you get it. I was late, but I meant to be here. As soon as someone else is late for a meeting, I'm like, they don't even care about their job. What are they doing here? I could think of a million reasons that they did the wrong thing and had the wrong intentions when it's someone else making that mistake. In my brokenness and in my humanity, that's easy for me to come up with. And when it's my mistake, I can think of a million reasons why it's okay that I made that mistake. But as soon as it's someone else, it becomes really, really difficult to remind ourselves that they are going through things too. So the third thing that we need to remember is we need to remember to choose reconciliation. We need to remember to choose reconciliation. I read this book that had uh, questions that kids uh, wrote to God. And uh, so I guess parents had collected them and then somebody finally put it into a book. And, uh, and in one of these kids' journals, the question that he wrote to God was he said, Dear God, if Cain had had his own room, do you think maybe he might not have murdered his brother? <laughs> It's tough living with people. It's just tough. It's tough being in community, guys, but it is what we are called to do. In fact, the Bible says that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means to restore or recover a relationship and to neutralize the distance that is causing separation. Or in other words, to become well disposed toward or benevolently, benevolently inclined towards that person. That is the real meaning of reconciliation. In Greek, the word reconciliation that is used here is katalaso, and it is a verb. So said in this way, it means to actively reconcile the things that are pressing against us. The way we would say it is whatever is in your face, that is something important and pressing and it needs our, our attention in order to reconcile it. That's what we're called to, the ministry of reconciliation, to actively know 
when, you want to know when something's pressing against you or in your face is when you can't sleep because you keep rehearsing in your mind the things you would like to say to the person who hurt you. That means something is wrong and reconciliation is needed at that time. And we're called to that ministry of reconciliation. Why can't we all just get along? That's the question. Why can't we just all get along? We can't because we hold so dear to our own ideologies and our beliefs that we begin to hate the ones who disagree with us or don't look like us. And there is only one way we can actually all get along. One way. I figured it out. I solved the problem. This is what I do on a very regular basis. I wake up and I say, today I'm going to dispense with all of my enemies. I'm going to destroy them, all my enemies. All the people I'm, I, I couldn't sleep because I was frustrated with, all the people that have spoken against me, all the people that have hurt my feelings, I'm going to destroy those people. And how will I do that? The way that I will do that is that I will destroy the power that they have over me by choosing to love them instead of hate them. And by the end of the day, all of my enemies are gone. By the end of the day, I sleep well at night. By the end of the day, I have dispensed with all of my enemies and I am at peace. How much stress or anxiety or sleep have we lost over the times that we sit there and stew over whatever it is that someone has done to us? In order to truly have community, you will need to be in a church that is full of broken and hurting people that will continue to hurt you. You will have to have a commitment, a faith-like commitment to say, this is the place where God has called me to be, and I am committed to this place, and I will persevere. Because every time we run from a difficult encounter, we set ourselves up to have the same thing happen to us over and over again. And every time we deal with conflict in the right way, we set ourselves up to resolve every conflict and dispense with our enemies every day. That's what we're called to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Listen to this not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The easiest way to find reconciliation is to stop counting their trespasses against them. I read a book one time that was by um, Dr. Uh, Martin Niemöller. He would tell of his incarceration in Dechu. And his cell was in plain view of the gallows. The gallows is where they would hang people. And day after day, he says that he watched men and women go to their deaths. He could hear their cries, their curses, their prayers. And he declared that the gallows became his best teacher. Through that horrible experience, he was haunted by two questions. The first, what will happen on the day that they lead you there and put you to the test? When they put that rope around your neck, will your last words be, 
what will your last words be? Will they be, Father, forgive them, or will they be criminals, scum? Niemöller said that if Jesus had cried out in vengeance from the cross, there would have been no New Testament, no church, and no Christian history. And one of the greatest tests of the degree of a person's transformation into the likeness of Christ is his reaction to the one who does evil to him. The ultimate measure of your faith is not how you act to someone who is kind to you. The ultimate measure of your faith is how you treat those that aren't. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We follow him today because when he had been persecuted, whipped, beaten, and then hung from the cross, His last cry was love even for the people who were crucifying him. The only way that the church will stand out in such a divided time in our history is if we learn to love those who disagree with us, those who don't look like us, and those who hurt us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, if you will? Lord, you have given us the ministry of reconciliation, something that you did so incredibly well. And Lord, I especially feel heavy in my heart today for those who have been hurt deeply maybe by someone that they love dearly, maybe by online bullying, maybe by someone that they work with. Maybe a friend betrayed your trust. Maybe someone said something to you and even though they're still around in your life, you've never been as close to them since that day. That person may never apologize to you. So how blessed and fortunate are we that we have the healer on our side. He heals your wounds. He forgives your transgressions. And he gives you the power to forgive others' transgressions as well. And in a moment, we're going to pray. And there will be a prayer team here at the front. Maybe you need prayer for an area of your finances, a job, your health, a wayward family member. I don't know what you need prayer for today, but the Bible says where two or three are gathered that he is there in their midst. So you're here, you're already here. Don't let anything stop you from receiving prayer today. You're in this place where saints can gather with you and pray. But especially, maybe you can even feel the pain still rising from your heart up into your throat. 
God wants to heal you today so that you can be a minister of reconciliation. So Lord, we receive your ministry of reconciliation. God, we want community so desperately. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength, the power, the wisdom, the trust and the faith to forgive and to love others. And Lord, I pray that you would draw every single person that needs prayer, Lord, to receive prayer today. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.